Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello. Welcome to The Signal February edition 2018. It's me, James Poulter, and I'm joined in the studio by Ruth. Hello. Hi, Ruth. That was very, like, slow and meaningful. I thought so. Well done. Okay. Welcome to the show. We've got some stuff coming up. Okay, welcome to the Signal edition for February. Thanks so much for joining us. This is the podcast from the MediaNet. If this is the first time you're downloading the show, maybe you've never heard it before, this is the place where we talk about the media from a faith perspective. We talk about journalism, the stories that are hitting the headlines and what goes on beneath them. I'm James Poulter, your host. I do this thing called a podcast and I do it with my friend Ruth over there. Hi. (laughs) Sorry, Ruth. Can you just engage with the fact that we're doing a podcast? Um, uh, um, Ruth, um, tell the people, the good people of Signal Town, what it is that you do. So I'm the editor of Premier Youth and Children's Work, which is a magazine, but more than a magazine. It's a website, it's a podcast, it's all sorts of other technological things that I don't really understand um, for, for Christian youth and children's workers or anyone that engages with young people in any way, really. There you go. So if you're listening to the show for the first time, you now know what Ruth does. And for everyone who's been listening to the show for a long time, you now know what Ruth does because we <laughs> almost never pay any attention to actually explaining why on earth you should be listening to us. But we're here and thank you and we appreciate that you do. We've got some good stuff coming up on the show we're going to do it all topsy-turvy because it's just myself and ruth today uh mr sam hales is where is he i don't know i'm not sure anyone knows where he is he's outside the m25 somewhere which basically means that he could be in mordor for all that i care but that's just um (laughs) i'm sorry for those of you that live in other parts of the country we value you very much but i don't often go there i uh leave the country uh, much more often than i go anywhere around it so um sam's out we're here but we've got some nice stuff coming up we're going to do the notices in just a moment's time then we've got some great recommendations for you usually we leave them at the end of the show but sometimes maybe you don't get to the end of the show you know you get off the train you forget to come back to us or maybe Shame you on fall you. asleep sleep timer on the podcast app can be a bad thing so um we'll think we're going to do them we're going to do them at the start we're just it's Let's all different it. it's all different today and uh, we've got an interesting interview coming up with josh lowe a former journalist working at a whole bunch of different places in politics uh, he's going to tell us a little bit about what he's doing now sam actually is on the show today because he caught up with uh, josh a couple of weeks ago at our 2018 trends event from the media net and more to come as well we'll be discussing some of the big news items including obviously the the sad uh, news of the passing of billy graham and also some of the issues that have been going on in the charity sector uh, so stay tuned at the end of the show for that okay notices we've got some things coming up for you to pay attention to uh ruth have you ever been to bristol yeah what do you think of bristol quite like bristol yeah me too i like i like a bit of bristol what about manchester well grew up in manchester so obviously love it what's the best part about manchester rochdale where i was born okay any non-biased ruth related (laughs) trivia that you wish to share about manchester i think it's like 
a really friendly, nicer version of London. Okay, good. Well, if you live in the friendly, nicer version of mm. London that we call the Manchester, as well as, <laughs> or alternatively, the Bristol, Bristol, uh, down there, uh, then we've got some interesting things coming up for you. In June, we're going to be hosting a couple of events, uh, events, events, uh, which are not the digital kind, but the ones that actually happen when the people get in the face-to-face. Uh, those are happening down there in June. You can check out the website for more information, themedianet.org. There are going to be a couple of different meetups, both one in Bristol and Manchester in June. We're looking for people that want to come and speak. Um, if you are a journalist or a uh, media person or a content creator of any formal format, then you want and you've got something to share, either on a panel or in a little keynote speech to uh, the assembled groups uh, there in Bristol or Manchester, do get in touch with us. You can do that on Twitter at the MediaNet or send us an email to info at themedianet.org. Then the other thing we wanted to announce, it's a little bit of a date for your diary. It's coming up. Sorry, I just dropped a pen. That'll sound... That's the sound of a pen. I do. <laughs> Ruth was amazed that I use an actual pen. I do do that. Um... <laughs> Later on in the year, we have got the annual MediaNet conference, the Faith of Media conference. Uh, we've just announced the date, so hold this one in your diary. It is the 18th of October. The Woo! 18th of October. The 18th of October. Coming up at St Mary's Bryanston Square on York Street, just off of London's very own Baker Street, the church in which I got married in. Uh, nearly eight years ago to my darling wife um, and she will also be there because she's helping run the whole thing so you can come and see us there on the 18th of October St Mary's Bryanston Square again all the information and to hold that in your diaries tickets will be up on the website shortly and also on Eventbrite you can go find out all the information at themedianet.org okay that was the notices how do we do? excellent that was a lot of information done very quickly okay rating out of 10 for the notices Rating out of ten, oh, that confused me because you had two numbers there. You said rating out of ten four. Okay, ten. Uh, don't give it a four. <laughs> rating out of ten for the notices. Well, let's give it a strong seven. Ah, uh, see, I hate people that give it a seven. Oh. I think all the out of ten ratings should never be allowed the opportunity Ooh. to use a seven. So this is why in our magazine we rate stuff out of seven, but oh. we don't have actual numbers. We have emojis. Okay. So that that stops people because we found that when we were doing it out of five everything was getting a four uh, and a lot of the time people didn't actually mean four they meant no, maybe three but no. they were just t- too nice to... i like a rating scale out of 10 but you're not allowed to use seven so it has to be a six or an eight because a seven's a cop out oh interesting okay, okay. i'll give the notices an eight okay okay um <laughs> and speaking of rating systems we're not going to rate everything on the show but hey why not start there as we need to go on into recommendations so coming up after this little momentary interlude of sound uh, which often in the biz we call a sting, uh, we'll do the recommendations. Sorry, I'm just kind of going to go fully meta on the whole podcast format <laughs> this week. Um, so, recommendations coming up. Okay, Ruth, um, you've actually gone and listened to something that was published or <laughs> created in this decade. Do you wish to tell us what it's it is? true story. So, I was getting a lot of grief for watching stuff that it's very old or listening to stuff that's very old that people did you know in their in their teenage years probably so i went on a website on the internet and i looked up sort of top podcasts of 2017 so the ones that had won awards and things like that okay. and i came across a series of podcasts called shortcuts made for bbc radio 4 um by an indie uh and they are really really good I listened to one on Valentine's Day actually called Never Let Me Go, which was about different sort of love stories. So it was one where two people have been separated in their teenage years because their parents had got in the way and they found each other as older people and they'd 
it was just a beautiful story one who'd lost his wife and it was about kind of the grief of all of that um chance encounters just lots of just telling people's stories and the whole premise of the podcast is just sort of telling normal people's stories and it's quite short it's 20 minutes so it's great if you're in the gym or whatever depending on how long your workout is but i really enjoyed it so, so basically what we've learned there is also your workout is 20 minutes <laughs> Pretty solid. It really needs to be longer, as you will hear in a minute. <laughs> yeah, but in all seriousness, so it's a kind of interesting little show format, isn't it? The, mm. These kind of breakdown of real human stories and, yeah. and the, the stories behind the stories, I suppose. Yeah, and there was, I can't remember whether it was three or four short stories within this 20 minutes. So not that you would be, but if you were mm. bored by one story, you know that coming up fairly soon is another one that you probably are interested in. So it's it's quite a nice thing if you get distracted easily. What I quite like about this format, and I'm seeing it across the board with a few different shows now, is a lot of people creating a lot of these shorter form podcasts. Because mm. I think, you know, and we're guilty of it, those of you that have been listening for a while, mm. <laughs> the show does tend to get a little bit longer and longer as weeks go by. We're gonna I, I blame Sam. This. I blame Sam too, but he's not here, so this will be nice and tight. Um, but, you know, a lot of people are creating these little kind of short podcasts, shortcuts, good example we've seen also like the um spectator and like the new statesman started doing these little coffee um coffee house shots um podcasts for like six and seven minutes just you know mm. one one topic discussed for a few moments i really like that mm. it's nice to have a little bit of difference and sometimes like you say you're, you're out for a 20 minute gym session <laughs> or maybe just a walk some of us just call that a walk um then you know you maybe you just want something a little bit kind of uh short it's nice Mm. Good. Um, my recommendation this week, a month, whenever we're doing this, uh, is uh, slightly different. It's a, a book, and it's from a somewhat kind of controversial. I'd say that's fair. Uh, person, and if I'm honest, I didn't really put two and two together when I picked this up in uh, foils, where I do a large amount of my book shopping. Um, other good book retailers are available. <laughs> um, and it is The 12 Rules for Life by Jordan B. Peterson. For those of you who um, are maybe thinking, hmm, that name sounds familiar, um, you will you might have kind of come across this guy recently uh, in a, an interview that he did with a Channel 4 journalist, uh, name now escaping me. Yeah, I think her name is Kathy Newman. That's right. Who, um, Which went slightly viral. And, and basically because of um, some of the, the thoughts that he has in the book and uh, just more generally expressed um yeah he's a, a psychologist um and socio analyst i suppose and, and has got this interesting background he's come from you know an awful lot of work beforehand um which was codified into his previous book all around the you know kind of history i suppose of religion and philosophy and then now has come out with this secondary book uh, only the second book in all of his works um which uh, following on from the the previous one which was called maps of meaning the architecture of belief so you know that kind of background uh he's a a harvard professor uh, and has been nominated for all sorts of really interesting awards but um what i found was quite interesting is also the most viewed writer on quora which is the kind of question and answers social network platform which was quite popular about kind of 2010 uh 2011 um and you know he's written a lot on this topic of different family values on the role of women in society and this this book is is really interesting i recommend it to you not necessarily because i agree with everything that's in here but just because it's particularly thought-provoking at some points it's slightly waffly um and and you know overly complex perhaps and verbose for the sake of it but what's really interesting is he dissects a number of these different rules i'll just give you a couple of the headlines of some of them um you know for example i'll just flick through here 
this is the sound of an actual physical book being flicked through for those of you listening. Um, what rule four? Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone else is today. Um, which I think is a, an interesting rule to live by, and he expands upon that by talking about how you know um, we often um, try and kind of talk ourselves up and compare ourselves a lot to other people um he, he kind of challenges people to pay a lot more attention to who they were before so he says for example notice your fear and have sympathy for it which i think is quite an interesting uh, mm. challenge um but what yeah a lot of his his writing draws upon kind of an analysis of um christian and post-christian doctrine as well as also other faith and belief systems um and has you know kind of in many ways reinforces faith in God and when asked uh, Justin Briley um, Ruth your colleague um, is uh, recently done an interview with him on the upcoming show um, which I believe is coming out later in the year and, and Justin said to us that yeah, he found him to be a really interesting character because mm. that you know, he, he will not commit to being a Christian um, but says that you know, he doesn't he can't prove that he believes in God but he has uh, you know kind of no other thing to kind of hang his hat on I suppose and, yeah. and that comes through very strongly in the book so anyway I commend it to you it's an interesting read um, 12 Rules for Life by Jordan B. Peterson if you're into kind of um, some of the ap- apologetics work that you guys mm. do um, then that might be of interest check that out so Jordan B. Peterson um, if you want to go look at the interview that, there's reasons why that went viral which we won't get into but <laughs> um, yeah the book itself particularly interesting Okay, coming up next on the show, we have a little interview with Josh Lowe. Uh, Josh will explain who he is in a minute, as Sam so definitely did an interview with him at our most recent 2018 Trends event. Uh, I've I've spared you all listening to the chat that they had about microphones uh, for a few moments (laughs) at the start of the interview, but when they get into it, you'll hear from Josh. He works in various different bits of political um, journalism and has now moved into a new online political format for helping those working in the public sector get their stories out, which is a particularly interesting interesting move for him uh, sam talks to him about what he sees the media's direction is going in and also a little bit about what life is like being a journalist in the world of politics and how it maybe compares to celebrity journalism as well which um, i think josh has got some interesting perspective on so from our 2018 trends event that happened a couple of weeks ago here in london here is our very own sam hales with josh lowe Great to have Josh Lowe join us on the Signal podcast today. We are at the MediaNet Future Casting event, looking forward to all of the media trends in 2018. So, Josh, you've recently changed jobs, haven't you? Tell me about what you've gone into and where you were before. Yeah, so I've left a fairly conventional, I suppose, uh, media job, which was political reporter at Newsweek, the American Current Affairs magazine. I was in our London bureau. And I've gone to something slightly less conventional. Uh, my title is still reporter, or technically lead reporter. Um, I'm working for a company called Apolitical. Uh, we are a platform for public servants around the world. We've got thousands of top policymakers in more than 150 countries. We're always looking for more, if anyone happens to know any. Um, and part of what we offer is that myself and my colleagues on the media team um, do in-depth reporting on innovative policy around the world, how it's being put into practice to help our readers in governments make better decisions, get ideas, talk through problems and put them in touch with each other. So how did you get started in journalism? My first paid journalism was uh, celebrity gossip um, for the diaries. Um, That's very different what you're doing now, it should be said. 
It's fairly different to what I'm doing right now. It's not so different to what I was doing a few months ago. Political journalism is basically celebrity journalism, but with politicians. Um, so I started on uh, doing stringing, uh, freelance stringer work for uh, the Londoner's Diary on the Evening Standard, uh, the Times Diary, which Patrick Kidd edits, that's still going, uh, Telegraph's Mandrake, which um, sadly, or not so sadly, if you're a celebrity with something to hide, has since been shuttered. Um, and I would, at about 4pm every day, get an email from one of them, maybe a couple of them, hopefully. They would tell me what was going on that night. Um, I would uh, email the PRs for those events or whoever, get some guest lists, and then I would spend my time running around parties trying to talk to celebrities and desperately trying to make them say something funny and not just bang on about their work. So that was, uh, that was my initial routine. What a challenge, that's wonderful. I, I've been told you have a really keen interest in religious affairs, so I'd love to know a bit more about that. Where did that kind of come from? So I did... Um, well, I suppose it started, I, I was a Christian um, until I was about, uh, I suppose, 14. Um, and then, uh, and, I, and I should stress at this point, I'm no Richard Dawkins fan now, but when I was about 14, I read The God Delusion, as I think many people did, and became briefly a kind of militant atheist, and then realised that was even less satisfactory than, than, for me than, than being religious. Um, and then I did a Theology A-level, um, and ever since... I suppose what I've become increasingly interested in um, as far as my political journalism goes is when you look at a problem like immigration um, and integration particularly, when you look at problems like extremism, although that debate can become very securitised, but, but extremism in general, um, when you look at questions of what is a traditional identity of a country, lots of these questions that we're really grappling with in this country after Brexit, they really have a religious dimension um, and there isn't much uh, religious coverage, particularly not as far as mainstream political coverage goes. Politicians aren't asked about religion very much. Religious affairs coverage that there is is often a bit like let's give this community a mouthpiece for a bit to satisfy the ones of them who happen to be watching us. And I'm just interested in ways to uh, expand that, I suppose, into political journalism. I haven't got very far with it yet, but hopefully over the, the coming years I, I will get further. Now we're here at this future casting event. You're about to be on a panel and you're about to be asked, what is the future of the media in 2018? What are the trends we should be looking out for? So I'd love to get a sneak peek of your answer what are you going to say so something that i don't know whether i'll say what it will happen because uh, this this business um is always dangerous to say what will happen because it's changing all the time something that i think both could and probably should happen um is this uh Having moved um, into my job, as I, as I said earlier, one of the things I liked about it is that while my audience is much smaller, it allows me to talk to a kind of committed community of readers to really get to know them well, understand what they want, and hopefully, uh, as I get my feet under the table a bit more, start really serving them well. And I wonder if, as it becomes clear how difficult it is now to just eke those last few advertising dollars out of expanding your readership at any cost, will publishers start to, whether they're launching new publications or repurposing existing publications, start to think more about just getting to know particular communities, serving them well and no longer trying to be all things to all people. And I think that's something that we both could and should see in 2018. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite.
Well, Josh, thank you so much for joining us. There you go. Thanks so much to Josh for joining us on the Signal podcast. If you want to find out more about him, then you can go and follow Josh on Twitter as well, at Josh Lowe. So, all of that to be said, we've got now some news. It's all back to front. Yeah. How do you feel about Cr- that? I feel a bit lost, okay. actually, truth okay. be told. Well, don't worry. We're going to come back to it because, uh, you know, we know, Ruth, that you love getting the big picture. Um, and you did that this month so well for us because you managed to print all of your pictures off in A3. And I'm not <laughs> sure why. Literally big picture. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you that are listening, why. obviously you can't see the visual cue that I have of Ruth being surrounded <laughs> by literally gigantic pieces of paper, um, some of which bigger than her entire face. So, um, and we're going to start talking off, I suppose, um, we, we can't kind of ignore the news about Billy Graham uh, passing away this mm. week. Uh, as we record, um, it's probably only a couple of days on now since uh, Billy Graham passing and my personal Facebook feed is um, just awash I suppose with pictures of what obviously is a great man and has left an amazing legacy uh, and touched so many millions of lives uh, through his preaching and teaching and all the work that he did but there's a lot of stuff that I think went on below the scenes or behind the scenes with with him and uh, Ruth you were talking to me earlier about kind of the impact particularly he's had on you know kind of the work that you guys do in, in youth work and just tell us a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah so I interviewed Neil O'Boyle who's the head of Youth for Christ yesterday um, and lots of people don't know but Billy Graham actually started Youth for Christ so the whole movement is completely based on his ministry and the way that he did ministry so his big thing was young people reaching young people which Mm. is a huge thing that actually most youth ministries realize is the way forward so that was a really powerful uh, interview Neil just said some brilliant things about the way that he's influenced him personally but also the way that he's influenced their ministry and I think I asked him at the end what's the one thing that you would take from Billy Graham's ministry and sort of put into your own if you could and he just talked about Billy Graham's character and his integrity and the fact that whatever he did he was just doing it for God and not everyone loved him and of course he got some people's backs up but they they, um, they tried to do apparently lots of different journalists tried to do kind of digging around Billy Graham to try and find some dirt and literally no one has been able to find anything that would sort of besmirch his character and I think actually that says a huge amount about a person when they've been in ministry for that long and no one can find anything about them. Absolutely I mean the, the obviously slew of obituaries now that have kind of followed his passing I think are you know most incredibly um you know kind of respectful um and and positive actually mm. in many ways uh, the the telegraph writing a, a piece here about um how he uh you know kind of preached to the queen uh, one of the kind of few people that's ever had the opportunity to kind of preach directly to to the queen um and photographs of him um back in 1995 at the royal family's private uh, residences the chicago tribune kind of paying tribute to him talking about obviously all the mass rallies that he attended and uh, particularly his evangelical crusades that he was obviously so uh, well known for but also you know, again referencing the work that he did in combat zones like in south korea and mm. vietnam as well praying with u.s service members um and then obviously a lot of reporting now going on about what the funeral will look like and how that will um be you know kind of broadcast out to obviously many millions of people that will expect we expect to um you know kind of be there uh yeah kind of taking in uh the the great work that he's been done obviously the u.s president and vice president mm. have also paid tributes uh to him um which has obviously uh attracted a little bit of controversy along the way but overall the story is incredibly positive isn't it for for someone and who clearly has you know shaped so much of the perception of what it means to be an evangelical particularly yeah. um in in the western world so yeah obviously a, a very 
poignant moment and we uh you know obviously wish his family well um in the in the follow-up and all the, the work that will now be done as they prepare for the funeral but yeah buddy graham a, a amazing uh man and uh, a, a great source of i suppose media interest once again and it doesn't i suppose beg the question is like well you know what uh you know will we ever see someone i suppose who rises to the same level of mm. prominence as someone like Billy Graham, do you, do you see any other those names out there that might actually kind of hit that that level in the media? So I was thinking about this, and and I've asked quite a few people recently their thoughts about stadium evangelism and things like that, and <coughs> and there is a sense in which people have said it is still relevant because the gospel is still relevant. But I do also think we need to look at the way things are done, and I think for Billy Graham, I'm not saying what he did wasn't absolutely remarkable it clearly was and he was incredibly gifted and anointed but there was a sense in which actually there was an assumption of biblical knowledge when he was speaking to people Mm. so if you listen back to some of his old sermons he he constantly talks back to the bible the bible says this the bible says this and what i found time and time again particularly with young people is that they have absolutely no reference point for that and if you say the bible says either they'll say what's the bible <laughs> or they'll say well but i don't think the bible is true and therefore you can't base the premise of an argument on something that they don't think is true i'm not saying you should of course you should refer back to the bible but quite a lot of the time i think particularly when dealing with young people you almost have to do the pre-evangelism kind of breaking down some of those barriers so looking at the historicity of the bible looking at whether jesus even existed because the amount of young people that think that jesus wasn't even a historical figure which is crazy given that all atheists attest to the fact that that was absolutely 100 percent the case so I, I don't know. I guess the short answer to that is I don't know how someone could have the, the same influence as Billy Graham given the society that we live in. But then Billy Graham used things like radio to his advantage and spoke to millions of people that he wouldn't have necessarily been able to reach just through his rallies. And I yeah. think actually we have got that with social media and things like that. So in some senses we've got an even even bigger audience. Yeah, in a different way. Yeah. Interestingly, in the you know, so this obviously um, happened a couple of weeks ago, but I wonder if comparisons might be drawn, and I would draw them now, between... Um, the, the likes of people like Rob Bell, for example. Mm. So um, Rob Bell, for those of you who haven't um, seen recently, uh, uh, a new film is being made about his life or has been made mm. about his life will be public- uh, is coming out over the next couple of weeks. Uh, whether or not it will get picked up in the UK or not for distribution, probably yet to be seen. But um, the, the, the movie is called The Heretic. Um, and it's a, you know, as, uh, Andrew Morgan, the documentary maker, um, who produced previously um, a, a documentary called Untold, um, followed basically Bell for several years in fact behind the scenes and is now releasing this documentary about his life um, and Rob Bell in a quote talking about it says here the religions that have failed us um, we're going through a revolution because these great traditions have to be expanded and explained and I think that that's a really interesting point yeah. is that like you know now we have this ability for people to become these you know mega star folks but we don't actually see outside of people like Rob Bell and we obviously spoke last month about Carl Lentz and people like mm. that you know will we see people ever reach the same level of notoriety and um yeah I suppose conviction around you know kind of the the faith in the same way that's been Graham kind of made I'm not I'm not sure whether yeah. or not it's possible again uh, maybe just a product of the times so we shall see but yes yeah, so if you're interested in that uh, the the movie The Heretic uh, by Rob Bell comes out um, on March 1st it'll be on Amazon and iTunes and there's some screenings going to be happening both in the US and the UK and obviously for Billy Graham's uh, funeral coming up in the next couple of weeks we will obviously watch the, the coverage and how that kind mm. of gets perceived as we move 
onwards. One, one of the big things that a lot of the coverage has uh, mentioned about Billy Graham is this whole subject of integrity. Yeah. And I think that that uh, brings us to our kind of second story for for this month's show, um, is obviously looking at some of the the um, recent allegations that have completely rocked the um, the charity sector here in the UK, particularly with the work that's um, being done at Oxfam and the controversy around the allegations of a number of their uh, workers uh, admitting to having uh, slept with prostitutes, particularly working in Haiti, and then all of the subsequent follow-up. Where Ruth, you've been following this story, kind of what's what's your take on how it's been played out? Yeah, so I think there's been lots of coverage. One of the articles that I think is particularly interesting is an article by Afura Hirsch, I think you pronounce his name, in The Guardian. He's talking about the fact that their fall from grace and aid workers doing things that are are not acceptable is is not a new thing. And he said something interesting right at the beginning of his article. He says, In 1905, Charles Woodruff, an American army doctor in the Philippines, decided that these men were suffering from tropical neurasthenia. I don't know how to pronounce that. But he says, As a diagnosis, it placed the blame squarely on the burden of civilising work in uncivilised spaces. And then he goes on to say that the colonial officers who are working in these places... um, were deprived of important distractions such as five o'clock teas and ballroom dancing. And as a result, they resorted to temptation to have sex with natives, which seems crazy. And obviously we've gone a long way from that. But there is a sense in which actually the aid workers doing remarkable things in a lot of these countries in incredibly difficult situations. um, People are maybe slightly justifying what they've done because they're in such difficult situations. And And I think... It's, that's a really difficult thing. I don't think it does justify what they've done, but but it makes it not a black and white case, I think, potentially. No, absolutely. I mean, obviously, a lot of scrutiny has come under this because of the work that they were doing, particularly mm-hmm. in a very, you know, kind of war-torn and, you know, kind of also natural disaster-torn, you know, kind of zones, particularly in Haiti, obviously, in the wake of, you know, kind of recent hurricanes and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the work that they're doing there is obviously vitally important. And But the idea that they can blame it on, you know, well, the equivalent being of, well, it's just, you know, we've got, time to kill or that we've got you know kind of temptations you know there's there's got to be better work being done i suppose to put some security around these people so they don't end up having to fall into those temptations right i mean that's what you would expect that's the thing and i think yes it's an individual issue of a lack of integrity and character and all the things that billy graham did have in in some senses but it's also quite clearly a structural issue within the organizations because you know, it, we're, we're all fallible. We're, we all, all fall into temptations in various guises. And w- what structures are in place to protect those people and more importantly to protect those innocent victims who've already been through incredibly difficult situations in these war-torn countries? Who's protecting those women who fall into prostitution often through absolutely no fault of their own and throw themselves at the mercy of an aid worker and get completely destroyed and often raped and just these terrible situations and and while of course the individuals need to be culpable for those things i do think there's a sense in which we need to look at the structures of organizations to, to stop that happening in the future yeah and i think it's safe to say that obviously this is not just an issue that's affected oxfam but this mm. is something that you know is feels like the tip of the iceberg unfortunately again um in another sector where we're going to see this you know kind of ripple through we've obviously also heard of other recent allegations not specific 
specifically working with 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 sex workers, but uh, sexual misconduct at Christian Aid and also at the um, uh, Save the Children. Um, and you know, in both those cases, you know, it's beginning to reveal that actually these things are happening in all parts of society, and mm-hmm. and those that are working particularly for Christian organisations or faith based organisations, or at least in the case of Oxfam, you know, kind of those that have a high moral compass, um, are are not you know kind of um, suscept- they're all susceptible to these things. And yeah. There's no way around that, and I think that actually you know kind of saying we have great codes of conduct and we hold people to strict standards is one thing, but you know actually acting upon it when you find out about those pieces of work going on is the other and a level of accountability I suppose is now what we need to see across the industry. Yeah I thought it was really interesting Philip North the Bishop of Burnley I think he is on um, the day after lots of these things broke happened to be Shrove Tuesday and his Radio 4 thought for the day was very interesting he talked about the widespread cultural abhorrence of hypocrisy which I think is exactly right because part of why we're so um, outraged about all these things is the hypocrisy of it like on the one hand they're doing this amazing aid work and then on the other hand under like behind closed doors they're doing all this other stuff but he also then went on to talk about forgiveness and the fact that Shrove Tuesday and looking forward to Ash Wednesday and Lent is is a time to ask God for forgiveness and a time Mm. to reset our moral compass so I think quite rightly people are up in arms about what's going on but we also need to remember that actually we're all fallible and Mm. forgiveness is needed by all of us for all of us and in a sense he that's without the first <laughs> sin needs to cast the first stone and quite frankly that's none of us no exactly yeah i think that you know one of the the interesting parts of this whole kind of um scandal i suppose in the past couple of weeks has been the way in which that the the companies have had to try and kind of come to the defence of something mm. that is indefensible, um, you know, particularly uh, Mark Goldring, um, who's the the boss of Oxfam, was was interviewed in the Guardian um, on Saturday, um, and you know, kind of. A, accuse his critics of basically the people kind of gunning for the charity people yeah. coming out and saying oh you shouldn't donate to Oxfam anymore for the this this and this reason and I did have you know reading that that interview a degree of um sympathy for him because you know there there was work done and they fell down and they did work to try and kind of fix it um and obviously they've had to do an awful lot in terms of repairing that in terms of full page letters back in the newspapers you know signing off on apologizing and things like that and, and obviously a lot of people calling for him to go and various other things but yeah he, he said um in this article i just find this this quote um is that when the reason that they didn't tell the public uh, why staff in haiti were dismissed he, he admitted that that was wrong um but said that he had done that to protect them as well he believed it was done in good faith and tried to balance being transparent whilst protecting oxfam's work i don't think that oxfam wanted to promote a sensation and damage the delivery of the haiti program with hindsight we could have done more um, but I saw this. Um, I could have been clear about this since the news broke. He says, "I just, you know, one of those things where you know transparency is something that we all love to call for in mm. the hindsight. You know, mm. when, when we can kind of see the story kind of coming out. It's like, well, why didn't they do more? And I suppose that you know, kind of the the pressures that people come under when having to deal with these scandals are so great that actually in the moment it seems like, uh, well, we dealt with it. We're just going to move on. What benefit does this have to the public? But there is a debate, I suppose, to be had around how much of this gets out into the world. Right? It's like, what do we expect of our people leading these organizations to do in those situations i mean you know if it were you or i i don't know if we would know what yeah. to do in that <laughs> i think it's really difficult and that's why i think it needs to start earlier than that in terms of i don't think you can always get rid of widespread abuse but you, what you can do is just put 
structures in place so that hopefully very little of these cases will emerge because the organisation won't let it happen. There's mm. no way that someone could go and make those terrible mistakes. Absolutely, yeah, and try and actually you know, put the safeguarding in place beforehand yeah. and learn and learn from there. Well, uh, an interesting uh, debate, and obviously we hope that this will be the end of it, but I think all of us understand that probably it isn't, and mm. um, we will have to see how this one continues to play itself out. And so that brings us to the end of the news and the end of the show. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Just a reminder of a couple of the things that we've got coming up for you that we mentioned. If you are in Bristol or in Manchester, coming up over the month of June, then uh, you can come and join us at a couple of MediaNet meetup events, and if you'd like to be a speaker, you can get in touch with us as well. Also hold the date for your diary the 18th of October at St Mary's Bryanston Square where we will bring back the Faith and Media Conference for 2018. Lots of exciting stuff to come there as well. In the coming weeks we've got some great interviews and guests coming onto the show including also we'll be catching up with our good friend Paul Carenza. We're going to be talking about some of the new faith-based comedy seasons that have been hitting things like Netflix and much more so stay tuned for that in upcoming episodes of the show. If you want to get in touch or you want to give feedback then you can also do that. Head over to at the Media Net on Twitter and reply to us or join the Christians in Journalism UK group on Facebook. You can also get in touch with the show all of the information at themedianet.org org and if you want to get in touch with either myself or ruth well you can do that as well uh, where can we find you on the twitters and things ruth the twitter is at ruth j jackson and you can find myself at, at james polter and we would love it if you would do so and also we'd love it if you would go and give us your feedback by leaving a review or a comment over on the itunes podcast app uh, the new apple podcast app you can find it in the app store you're probably using it to listen to us now in all fairness or stitcher or soundcloud or any other place where you are getting your podcast we would love it if you give reviews it really helps people find the show or share it with a friend um you know pop in an email you know Print off a link and leave it on someone's desk. I don't write know. us a we'll, letter. Write us a letter. We, we, a postal address can be found uh, somewhere else. So <laughs> that leaves it. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Signal from the Medianet. I've been your host, James Poulter. I'm Ruth Jackson. And you can join us again next month when we come together to discuss the ideas of faith and media and what is shaping the world of journalism here on Signal from the Medianet. your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com records.